Good morning. We welcome you to Rivermont today on this first Sunday of Advent and invite you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 24. We'll be looking at verses 44 through 53 today. Here we are at our very last sermon on the Gospel of Luke. I trust that this series has blessed you as much as it's blessed me in preparing it. I have really enjoyed our study of the Gospel of Luke. Following Epiphany in January and a few other sermons, special sermons, we're going to begin studying the book of Daniel, inquiring how we live as faithful citizens in the kingdom of heaven while remaining exiles here on this earth. What does the Bible have to teach us about living for Him in a multicultural, pluralistic world? We'll look at that beginning in January. But today we turn to the last verses of the Gospel of Luke in what has been called the Great Commission in Luke's Gospel. And it's followed by the ascension, where the Lord Jesus ascended to the throne. And we turn here on the first Sunday of Advent, when the church prepares to celebrate the birth of Christ and the return of Christ. It's a little bit of from the end, looking back on the beginning. And how fitting. For way back in chapter 1 of Luke, in verse 32, we were told, The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. In Advent, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And we know that Jesus was indeed born to be king. Born to ascend to the royal throne whose kingdom will have no end. We've heard the prophecy. We've walked with Jesus on this pathway toward the throne. We've been with him through his suffering and his trial. We've seen him slain for our sins and raised in glory. And now in our text today... The one born to die ascends to the throne over heaven and earth. This ascension sets our feet on the path of our study of the Advent series, looking for. What are the things we look for in this life while we wait? Well, today we're looking for hope, and we find that hope in the reign of Jesus. Luke 24, beginning in verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple, blessing God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that today by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to the wonderful things you have for us in your word. Enable us to follow after you as your disciples. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. This week I read a news account of a school system in a large city that had a program to help children keep up with their schoolwork when the children were in the hospital. 
And one day, one of these special teachers received a call to go visit a particular child, and so she went and spoke with the child's regular teacher. And the teacher said, we're studying nouns and adverbs, and I would be grateful if you could help him understand these things while he's in the hospital, so that when he gets out, he won't be too far behind. So the hospital program teacher went to see that little boy that day, and they found him in the hospital having had a bad accident in his body, severely broken. She didn't have any expectation that he would retain much of anything. She taught him that day, but she went ahead and got to work teaching him nouns and adverbs, and she feared at the end of that day she hadn't accomplished very much at all. But the next day she went back to repeat the same lesson, and a nurse stopped her when she came into the room and questioned her and saying, this little boy is different. We've been worried about him, but ever since yesterday, it seems as his attitude has changed. He's fighting back. He's, he's starting to respond to treatment. It's like he's decided to live. A couple of weeks later, this special teacher went back and asked the little boy what had happened. He seemed to be doing so well. And the little boy answered her question this way. He said, I figured that they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a little boy who's going to die. No, would they? (laughs) This little boy was sick, but he had hope. And that hope drove him forward to try and live, to will to live. And I wonder if you and I ever find a hope that drives us forward to live. We search for it, don't we? We long for hope. We, we wonder where strength is going to come from to face things that are challenging and difficult in this life. When relationships go wrong, when, when life is filled with disappointment after disappointment, even when our bodies are broken, where do we find the hope to keep going and the will to live? Well, here we are in Advent about waiting and looking and While we wait, we're looking for hope. We're looking for some certainty of promise that that what is right now isn't all that there is. That what I see today isn't all there is to this story of life. Friends, it's true. There is more to this life. And Jesus is the answer to that hope that we look for. And we find it in our text today. How? How do we see hope in this text? Well, first, we see the hope of His empowering presence. We find the hope of the Spirit's empowering presence in this text. Take a step back and and think about what we read as if you had been there when it first happened. Here were the disciples. They were in hiding because Jesus, their leader, had been crucified. The, The crushing power of Rome with the collusion of the religious authorities had ground their little movement into dust, or so they thought. What are they going to do now? How would they go on? And then Jesus appeared in that room. He he seemed to walk through a wall and appeared in some kind of a new body. What were they to think? How were they to make sense of this? He he was dead, but now he's alive. And so to answer their questions, Jesus walked them through the Scriptures. The law and the prophets and the Psalms is shorthand for the entire Old Testament up to that point. He walked them through the Scriptures and demonstrated to them, verse 44, that it had to go this way. It must be this way, he said. That little word that he chose there, must, is a Greek word, day. It's a tiny three-letter word that means divine necessity. What Jesus is saying is, it had to go like this if God were going to save them. If He's going to save us. Jesus had to come and die and then be raised again in order to bring us the newness of life. He spent His life for us, He says. But then Jesus gave this ragtag bunch of 
disciples some incredible marching orders. Orders that were far too large for them. He called them now to go and spend their lives for others. He had spent his life for them, and now they were called to spend their lives for others. We hear it in verse 47. He called them to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins, proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Now that's a familiar call to you and to me. But put yourself in their shoes. How would this tiny little group of outlaws, of of poor men and and women, how would they have any effect at all on all the nations? That seems preposterous that they were supposed to go from from this little room and preach repentance and forgiveness to all the nations. It's ridiculous in their strength. And further, what Jesus told them to do was completely backwards. Because for their whole lives, Jerusalem had been considered the epicenter of the world. The whole religious system was set up to draw people to Jerusalem. Draw them to come into the temple. It was like centripetal force, pulling people closer and closer into Jerusalem, into God's presence. But now Jesus reversed it all. He says, rather than draw people to Jerusalem, verse 47, now from Jerusalem, they are to go to all the nations. It's now like centrifugal force, flinging them out into all the world with this proclamation of forgiveness and reconciliation with God in Christ. It's like being on a merry-go-round. I don't know if playgrounds still have merry-go-rounds or whether they're considered too dangerous these days, but you guys know what merry-go-rounds are. You, know, you, you get on it, and it, it's a wheel, and it goes around and around and around. And what happens if you get near the outer edge of a merry-go-round? What happens? You get flung off, right? That's centrifugal force. It flings you out. And that's the same force that Jesus is suggesting is to be at work among His witnesses. He's flinging them from Jerusalem into all the nations of the world. With this message of the cross and resurrection, and it sounds preposterous to this group. How ridiculous would this, this little band go to all the nations of the world, be flung all over God's earth with this message How on earth could that happen? Well, it's not going to happen in earthly power. But it will happen by the Spirit of God. Look at verse 49. He said that the promise of the Father sent is going to empower them. And that promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. And He empowers not only those witnesses, but you and me as well. How are they going to turn the world upside down? It's impossible without Him, but He's going to do it in them and through them, He says. Certainly the Spirit had been with them before, but He had to change their hearts, He had to regenerate them, He had to enable them to believe, He led them, He taught them, He convicted them, but now, verse 49, they would be clothed with power from on high. That's the power of the Spirit of God to lift high the name of Jesus and affect all the nations... Now, how would they do that? How would they be flung to all the nations and seek to have any effect at all? It comes by the power of the Spirit of God, enabling them, empowering them toward this mission. You see, Jesus had a mission to preach the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God to go all the world. And in order for this mission to go forward, He sent the Spirit to empower that mission. And finally, He called a church to pursue that mission. What, that, what might that mean for us 
for you and me, Jesus still has a mission of preaching forgiveness and proclaiming reconciliation to all the world. He still has sent the Spirit to empower His people to it. And He has called a church to pursue that mission. It is so easy for us to forget or neglect that fact. And the way that we do it is by misunderstanding the church. You see, the church isn't a building. The church isn't a facility. But the church is a people. A people empowered by God, sent on mission, saved by the grace of God, called to proclaim that that grace to other people, empowered by the Spirit. His life in us to be given away as we are flung into the world all around us. In the relationships that are, that are challenging. Relationships that might call us out of our comfort zone. I wonder, church, where Jesus is flinging you right now. Now, this is critical for us as Rivermont to understand as we plan to open up an expansion of our building for the purpose of discipleship. I hope that we all realize that Rivermont, REPC, is not this building. Do we all understand that? Rivermont is not a building at 2424 Rivermont Avenue. It is not this facility. As beautiful as it is, Rivermont is you. The church gathered at this address, that is Rivermont. And Jesus has called us as a people to be about His mission of proclaiming forgiveness and repentance to all the nations. Jesus has a mission and He has called a people to pursue it. Empowered by His Spirit. And now thankfully He's given us a beautiful building in which to pursue that mission. But let's not confuse the two. This expanded facility is to be used as a means of being equipped to be flung into the world. Empowered by His Spirit with the life-giving gospel of Jesus. This building exists for the mission. That same mission that God has been working through His people down through the ages, whether they met in catacombs or caves or in church buildings or cathedrals, the mission is the same. And He calls us to the nations right where we are. See, the nations, friends, are gathered around our Thanksgiving tables. The nations are in our neighborhoods. The nations are in refugee camps. The nations are in our workplaces. The nations are in our families. And you, verse 48, are witnesses of His power and His glory. And He brings about the results of His work using you and using me as His instruments. Jesus has a mission. And it's called you, church, to pursue that mission. And yet, like the early disciples, so often we are flung into places where we feel unable to do anything. We feel as though we have heartache and powerlessness to help someone in crisis. We may feel deficient for words to ease somebody else's sorrow. We may see the limits of our own abilities and and problems that are way too big for us. We might feel the ache of a spouse or a child or a friend who's, who's cold toward the Lord Jesus. Or we may find someone making a disastrous mistake and we desperately want to keep them from making it. And one of the hardest lessons in the Christian life is to figure out what to do with these feelings of inability and weakness. What do we do when we feel like we aren't up to the job? Jesus told these early disciples, just like He tells you and me, hope, 
because we are simply witnesses empowered by His Spirit. And He's the one who holds hearts in His hands. We testify, we hope, we pray, we trust, we communicate the Gospel, and we know that the One who gathers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation uses us to do it. It's not our job to fix anyone else. It's His job. Our role is simply to be witnesses. Witnesses of a people who are undone by His grace and His work and His forgiveness in us. Jesus is building His church and He calls the nations and He calls neighbors and nothing will stop Him from His work. And friends, He uses us to do it. So let us not be confused and instead let us be the church empowered by the Spirit to communicate the gospel of Jesus as the light of Christ in this city and in this world? Are we willing to be flung into relationships that are challenging so that His light might shine through us as His people? Let's be the church, not simply come to a church. For Jesus has a mission and He's called us as a church to pursue it. Secondly, we see in this text, we have the hope of His reign. Not only do we have a hope that He empowers us to impossible tasks, but also the One who empowers also reigns over all. So verses 50 to 53 speak to us of the ascension. Luke gives us a fuller account of this same event in Acts chapter 1. And yet we don't often think much about the ascension other than it being a line in the Apostles' Creed that we say often in our worship service. But friends, the ascension celebrates Jesus, the the same Jesus who was born into weakness in a stable, who was born in the dirt, this same Jesus who lived a perfect life and fulfilled all of God's expectations on humanity, this same Jesus who was crucified in weakness for our sins and raised in glory, this same Jesus has now been elevated to the throne. And that is the ascension. This Jesus is no longer bound in weakness and in suffering, but instead, as the Christmas hymn once in Royal David City puts it, not in that poor, lowly stable with the oxen standing by, we shall see Him, but in heaven, set at God's right hand on high. He has departed, verse 52, and He now sits on the throne in dominion and reign and rule over heaven and earth. That ascension appears all over the New Testament and it tells us that He left this earth and now sits in, we could call it, the cockpit of the universe. He sits there to rule and reign at the right hand of the Father. He sits in the seat of power, the seat of control. And He knows you. The one who sits on the throne knows your name. The one who sits on the throne knows every one of our sins. He knows all of our flaws. And yet, He rules with love toward people like us. Let's think about some of the implications of the fact that Jesus reigns and sits on the throne. And ask if it drives us toward hope. Well, one implication is that the one who sits on the throne is our advocate. He's no longer our prosecutor. The one who sits on the throne is our advocate. He is no longer our prosecutor, as Hebrews 9.24 says. It tells us that He appeared before the Father on our behalf, pleading that His blood cover all of our sin, 
All of our guilt be washed away because He died in our place and He now is our advocate on the throne. The one who sits at the highest place knows the worst thing about you and about me. And rather than using that information to harm us, He draws near to heal and to assure us of His love. The judge who could condemn has become our advocate. And it's true. He sits on the throne as an advocate for you and for me. Another implication is that same one who is our advocate and sits on the throne, He hears and answers our prayers, Hebrews 7.25 tells us. In our world, networking is the key to everything, right? If you want something done, if you're looking for a a job or you're hoping to influence a decision or, or get something to happen, you look for someone who can put in a good word for you, right? We network. We look for someone who knows someone. Well, the one who sits on the throne himself is the one who hears and he acts on our behalf. We don't need someone to put in a good word for for us with someone who can make a decision. Because Jesus Himself hears. Jesus Himself acts. The one who sits on the throne and rules over all hears your prayer. He hears the cries of your heart. And He acts. And not only does He act, but He rules over heaven and earth for His glory and your good. Romans 8 tells us that. Hebrews 2 puts it like this, that all things were put in subjection to Him. More literally, all things were placed under His feet. He rules over heaven and earth, and yet sometimes we may not recognize all things put under His feet. That's what Hebrews 2 goes on to say. We may not see it. We may see a world that looks like chaos. Our our lives may feel like chaos sits on the throne. But the promise is, as Hebrews says, we do see Jesus. We may not see everything in this world under His feet, but we do see Jesus in the promises that He rules on the throne and His heart is filled with our good. Jesus sits on the throne and rules for His glory and your good. And He also assures us, He announces peace in His name. He announces flourishing. He announces wholeness throughout all the world. And He's going to bring it about. No matter how chaotic this world looks right now, He is going to bring about wholeness and peace and flourishing when He returns. Another implication. The one who sits on the throne will return to gather us home. And no one and nothing can stop Him from His work. This one who is coming knows your name. And He knows the details of your life. The Bible says that He knows the very number of hairs on our head. No detail of your life is lost on Him. And He is coming to get you, to gather you and bring you home. The One who knows every minute detail of your life sits on the throne. And He rules and He reigns for your good. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that this Jesus is Lord. Philippians 2 tells us. Well, what does that mean for you and for me? Well, all, the, all those that harm and hurt His people, all those who are perpetrating injustice and per- persecution, all those who seek to kill and steal and destroy, or anyone seeking to oppose His way, will one day be set straight. And your hope and your trust in Him will be vindicated. 
He's coming again. And every knee will bow, meaning He is going to win. He will triumph. And you and I will along with Him. No matter what mess is in your life right now, the Lord knows your name. He has your good in His heart. And He rules and reigns so powerfully that one day every knee will bow to proclaim His name as Lord. I'm not sure what kind of hope you're looking for today. I'm not sure what burdens you face. But if the close of the Gospel of Luke tells us anything, it tells us that we don't face those burdens alone. We face them with certainty that the Lamb who was slain for us now sits on the throne and He promises us good. He promises us life by faith in His name. Maybe you're like the little boy in the hospital today, struggling to stay alive, struggling to keep your head above water, and you're wondering, where is the hope going to come from to keep living, to keep fighting, to keep struggling? Friends, it comes from knowing Jesus. The same Jesus who died for you now rules. And He sits in the cockpit of heaven and earth and He promises us life. He's alive and at work through weak and weary people like us. He was born in humility, but now He reigns in glory. Will He be your hope this Advent season? Let's pray together. Father, we do give You praise and thanksgiving. We give You praise and thanks that we are promised not only that our sins are forgiven, that all of our misdeeds that are brought into the light are covered over with the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. We give You praise for that. But Lord, oh, how our hearts soar when we realize that He rules over heaven and earth. The One who knows us and knows our frailty, knows our sins, the One who bled and died for us, now rules over everything. And in His heart is our good. Lord, sometimes it is very hard to see all things under Your feet in a world that looks chaotic. We struggle to see it, and yet, Lord, our eyes are fixed on You and on the promise that You rule and reign from the throne and You shall return to make all things right and new. We give You praise that You spent Your life that we might be reconciled to our Father. And now, Lord, we ask that You would empower us to spend our lives that others might be reconciled to the Father. Use us as your instruments. Use us as your people, as your church, assured that you are on the throne. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.